Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and today we're going to cover all about parenting a sensitive child amongst siblings who are not highly sensitive or whose needs aren't as high as your sensitive child stuck in the meltdown cycle. So if you find yourself wondering whether or not you're resenting your sensitive kid for the, the extensive amount of attention that they require of you, or your sensitive teen for the extensive amount of attention they require of you, then be sure to stick around. We're gonna cover how to break out of that pattern of feeling like there's an imbalance of love, care, and attention due to your sensitive kids' needs. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So have you ever felt like you're resenting your sensitive kid, feeling like your other kids are resenting your sensitive kid in your own home because of the amount of time that it just feels like your your sensitive child is sucking out of the room? Uh, all of the energy going into emotional experiencing, uh, emotional management, emotional janitorial work that you might be doing, trying to sweep up the whole uh, mess that, that is the meltdown cycle. And if that's the case, uh, then make sure that we're, we're going to dive into that today. Make sure you stay, stay tuned because we want to talk about this in the context of all of the families that we've helped and where you can get stuck, what you need to do to break out of the pattern, and uh, one of the challenges that we see for parents of sensitive kids. And, and what is uh, the responsibility of your sensitive kid? And what is the responsibility of you as a parent to break out of this pattern? Now, uh, we, you know, we hear from parents of sensitive children who have who are parenting multiple children all the time that they worry that the amount of attention that, that you're giving to your sensitive child is taking away from the amount of time that you can give the amount of energy right not just time the amount of energy that you can give to your non-highly sensitive children or to your, to your children they might be sensitive but their behaviors aren't as intense or uh, frequent or or extensive right so again let's talk about the meltdown cycle what is it? <laughs> if your child is, is hitting, kicking, yelling, screaming, um, threatening, life would be better off without me. Um, you guys don't love me. I, I might as well not even be here. Shutting down to the point where you feel like you have to pull teeth just to get your kids to the dinner table or to do any homework. Um, all of that is related to the meltdown cycle of a sensitive child and a family dynamic that is stuck in the meltdown cycle. And um, it, this is true if your child or, or teen is dealing with these behaviors, demonstrating these behaviors on a daily, multiple times a day basis, or uh, even multiple times a week basis. If your kiddo is having meltdowns on a daily, uh, let alone multiple times a day basis, then it is not developmentally appropriate uh, for your sensitive child to be experiencing that from ages two and up. And meltdowns frequently, even multiple times a week, are not appropriate for four and up. So if you're parenting an eight-year-old, and you know your kid is going to lose their mind on a daily basis or every a couple of days and you're just walking on eggshells, 
make sure that that, um, that you're listening to what we have to say here at MTC because uh, it's critically important that you notice that your child's behavior is not developmentally appropriate even if they are sensitive. And um, let's cover the, the sibling dynamic today, okay? So you might know uh, my sister is sensitive. Uh, she's a highly sensitive person. And so I grew up um, with, with a sensitive sister and, and I have a brother as well. And I'm the oldest of three. And while I will share uh, some of my personal experiences later in today's conversation, it's very important that, uh, that you understand that everything that I teach is um, balanced uh, by my personal experience, uh, maybe What's the word? I, that's where I get my passion and conviction. <laughs> but the evidence that we use, the science that we use, the research that we use stems from the fact that I have a master's degree, that I've studied this for years, uh, that I've worked in the mental health field for over a decade. I've trained uh, therapists. I've been to, I've been trained by significantly um, uh, knowledgeable researchers in the field of mental health, and then I've worked uh, parenting with parenting. Um, w- I've worked as a parent consultant and a parent coach for many years as well. So everything that I speak about is uh, backed by my experience as a professional. And then obviously uh, my personal experience um, really just uh, uh, swayed me in this direction to offer the support to parents and, and to dive in to this passion. Once I learned about the highly sensitive trait uh, beyond my master's degree, um, I was able to start to, to experience more of a mind-blowing uh, uh, moment uh, that, that it, it just really helped me understand what made me a Shannon Whisperer, uh, which is what I was affectionately called in my household, my sister's name, and um, what allowed me to, to you know, naturally uh, support my sister in different ways. Um, but then what also led to a lot of frustration in my childhood as well as in my adulthood trying to um, support my sister. And... Um, that just uh, furthered my passion and being able to help parents break out of this cycle before it starts um, at the gravity that we dealt with it um, and have and continue to deal with it um, in, our, in my family's dynamic. So <clears throat> uh, we'll, we'll get to that later because that's not really what, what is um, going to be super important for you, right? Um, and breaking out of the pattern. It's not my story. Uh, One person's story doesn't impact whether or not you can break out of this cycle. Uh, You impact whether or not you can break out of this cycle. And um, and so I understand that it's important that you know who I am and why I know what I do um, and and why I um, know what I do is going to work uh, for the families that we know it works with. Um, And um, to, you know, to connect with me. And it's also true that um, your family is... is, um, is a, is a different dynamic than mine, uh, though I can imagine there are some parallels because there are parallels in all highly sensitive children's families. Um, and this is where a system comes into play in, in terms of understanding patterns. You've know, been doing this for over a decade, so I've, I've been able to observe patterns in, in different family dynamics, not just what happened in my family and how I break out of it for my child and me and uh, the challenges that we have 
um, in, in everyday today life without the meltdown cycle and parenting a sensitive kid because it's not just about breaking the generational cycle for one particular family, right? We're talking about being able to break out of this pattern consistently and to do it for hundreds of families and uh, not every child, especially when you think about hundreds of children collectively, um, feel the same way. But um, you might've heard from, from your other children, the, the non-sensitive kiddo, right? Um, that uh, you're, they are trying their best to notice that you're, sensitive kid is, is having a hard time or really struggling um, and they're trying to be patient in, in all of these major behaviors that I discussed earlier, right? Running, hitting, kicking, screaming. Um, and they know that it's wrong to hit, kick, run away when, when mom or dad are talking. Uh, and yet, uh, and they follow through with those directions because perhaps it's easier for them to regulate their emotions or to hold it together. Um, those two are not the same thing. And um, and, and, and with that being said, there can be a lot of resentment. You know, we've seen and heard uh, parents of sensitive kids and their other children saying things like, you know what, mom, um, I'm trying really hard to be patient with my brother here, um, but I really just want to punch him in the face. And when your child says that to you uh, about your other child, um, it can be incredibly jarring to experience that. And um, knowing that that experience is something that, that our, our parents deal with often um, is one thing. And hearing it from your kid and actually having your child tell you that is another, right? Because, uh, and, and I want to speak to that, because the internal rage of living in chaos, which is what's going on in, in a household that's stuck in meltdown cycle, um, is, is um, pervasive. You know, children who are uh, witnessing the siblings' meltdown cycle are scared, they're nervous, uh, they're overwhelmed, they're frustrated, uh, just like you are, just like you are. This is not a typical uh, family dynamic that is built and designed to be, um, to, to, to create healthy adults. And um, it's really important for you to notice that your child is not growing up in a, in a um, safe and, a, and peaceful home. And it's something for you to address for the entire family, not just for your one child in question. Um, and, and uh, you know, to notice that, that your sensitive child might be the one screaming from the rooftops that there's a problem in the family dynamic. But uh, every child in the household is, is struggling in that. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that from personal experience as well as from professional experience. So it's important, right? Because uh, the struggle for you as a parent is, is obviously very hard um, because you can't support your uh, non-sensitive kid by saying things like, um, hey, I, I get it. You know, Sally's really struggling and I just don't know how to help her. Um, and you can't say things like, yep, you know what? Uh, she's working through some things. We'll figure it out. And, um, say that with a straight face. If you don't know how to figure it out, um, your, your other children will read that uncertainty off your face, even if they're not highly sensitive. And, um, this creates a lot of aggravation. It also creates a lot of, uh, worry, uh, for, for non-highly sensitive kids and, and non-highly sensitive kids will deal with that worry differently than uh, sensitive kids usually. It, it might not lead to meltdowns, but it might lead to threats. It might lead to aggravation, it might lead to anger um, or uh, disconnection. And this is the, the typical pattern we see. Um, basically just trying not to rock the boat and disconnection from, um, from need in, in the household, trying to manage your own needs because you can't, um, 
expect your parents to be around and available when uh, when you need them because they're they're busy with your your sensitive their sensitive sibling. So um, this challenge right uh, might pose a couple of options for you. You might decide to um, chastise your sensitive kid and say, look, you know, can't you see this is your brother's soccer game and, and, um, you know, he's, he's making it to the tournament and, and we don't have time for you to refuse to get out of the car. He's got to go. Um, and you can decide to try to teach empathy in that moment. Um, if, if your child is refusing to follow through on something that's important to siblings, um, you know, he waits all the time for you to, um, you know, for you to, to get it together. Even in, during the school days, sometimes we're late because, um, because you can't get it together. Today, you can be uh, someone who, who gets in the car and gets out of the car on time because can't you see this is important to your sibling? Um, those dynamics, the, the, that activity uh, might be something that you might want, you know, that experience might be something that you want to engage in. might have been something that actually came out of your mouth. Um, in more than one occasion in exasperation, frustration, or in just pure attempt to teach your kid to, to, to think about someone other than themselves. And, um, that level of exasperation is, is common in, with, in parents who are stuck in the meltdown cycle. And it's common for sensitive kids to experience shame-based, uh, lectures in, um, in this dynamic. And, and honestly, um, the, there's no judgment here in, in terms of being able to share what's going on with you and, and address it because it, it's exasperating, you know, the guilt of noticing that your other children are not getting the attention um, or the prioritization that you hope to give them um, is incredibly important. You know, you've seen how we've coached parents of, of very young children where there's serious safety concerns, like a highly sensitive child um, at four uh, who's aggressive and punching a baby, right? Um, you might have heard Tony's story or um, other families that we've worked with who, whose kids are five and two and, and five-year-old uh, is jumping on the two-year-old because they're just super excited and they want to play and, and they can't read the two-year-old's face of, ah! <laughs> get off of me. Um, this is scary. This, you're too big. I don't like this. And, um, and then that leads to aggravation and frustration. Um, and then obviously the intensity then can create a meltdown for the five-year-old. I just want to play. Why won't my little brother play with me? And that intensity um, can then lead to a shame-based meltdown when you have said, get off your brother. Come on. He's little. Don't you get it? Um, and this is true for, for sensitive teens, you know, teens who, uh, you notice, uh, need to be participating in the family, are refusing to go to their younger siblings, um, you know, audi um, audi audi um, uh, like conferences or, or what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Performances. Uh, I gave the example of a sports game earlier. Um, so I, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, but, but you get what I'm saying, right? So I don't want to go. I don't want to go to, um, to, the, to the music performance. I don't want to go um, to the soccer tournament. It's going to be boring. I don't know. What if they, you know, I don't want to be around a lot of people, any of that, that a, a sensitive teen stuck in the refusal isolation cycle might say, uh, which can really damage the relationship. You know, you can have a, a skillful, um, non-sensitive teen who, who uh, is, is dealing with their sensitive uh, teen who's just quitting at life. And they see that as um, such a frustration. And, and you might see that your, uh, your teens are trying to, to, um, to you know, your, your younger teen or your older teen is trying to encourage your sensitive teen to get with it 
come on, man, like this isn't that big of a deal. Um, you're missing out on life here. And it's sad to watch. It's sad to watch an isolated, sensitive teen um, from a sibling's perspective um, get into uh, behaviors that are ineffective and, and to get into patterns of just completely checking out of life or, or just watching your parents um, getting into arguments over and over again um, with the, in the same problem. Um, and, and it just really makes you want to hide, let alone uh, get, into, get into a situation where you're screaming or uh, frustrated at them and, and um, you know, it's bleeding out in different circumstances. So, um, you know, you might decide to, um, you know, to, to handle all of that by, by addressing it through lecture, by addressing it, by trying to call attention to how they're mistreating their siblings. And that's not cool. Um, and, and you might also decide to ask your non-HSC to shove their emotions to the side. You know, she feels bigger feelings and this is just how she is. I don't really know how to get her out of it. And, um, you know, uh, you're, you know, yelling at her makes it worse. Obviously <laughs> a non-sensitive teen yelling at a sensitive teen is going to make it worse. Um, but, but it's not your non-sensitive kids, uh, problem, quite frankly, to have to solve that emotional regulation problem in your sensitive kid. That is your problem. You're the parent. Um, and so when I speak about the responsibility, it's the responsibility of your sensitive child to act on the empathy that we know they have. But they cannot do that unless they have the skills to manage their own emotional dysregulation, unless they have the skills to notice that they are in panic mode and decrease that panic mode enough to see the faces of other people around them, take that in as, as uh, something they should act upon in a skillful way, and then not let that emotion of responsibility, of um, shame, of embarrassment, or care or compassion overwhelm them and compound be the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Uh, which is what goes on in the meltdown cycle when highly sensitive kids have no skills. You've heard me say this, go watch my, or listen to my trainings on manipulation um, and counteracting that belief that, that your kiddo doesn't have empathy. Um, because sensitive kids are by nature more empathetic and by nature in, in the meltdown cycle are stuck in not being able to demonstrate that empathy. So spontaneous apologies never happen. Um, you know, inhibition of um, impulses don't happen because they are so, so overwhelmed. And, and that intensity is something that it's important for you to notice. You don't jump to the conclusion that your sensitive kid is not empathetic. Um, and, and when you try to teach empathy to your non-highly sensitive kid by saying, hey, don't worry about your feelings, only worry about the big feelings going on in the home for the one kid that I, I'm drained by, um, that obviously doesn't, uh, doesn't create empathy. It creates self-preservation thoughts and um, self-protection thoughts that your non-highly sensitive kid is going to have to deal with. And so you might think that either of those are, are good solutions, but the, the third option is breaking out of the meltdown cycle. And that's what uh, is really going to turn away um, this challenge for your whole family. Being able to break out of this pattern consistently is something that you have to do as a parent. Your sibling, your, your kid's sibling relationship can be spared from this strife. Uh, you can stop playing referee, okay? And um, most people don't realize that that meltdown cycle is actually a family dynamic issue. Everybody in the family needs to take on their own part. And nobody in the family should be overperforming for other people in the family, including you for your child, um, by sweeping their big emotional um, behaviors out of the, out, under the rug, um, by trying to make it better by forcing apologies. Um, all of that is, is keeping your whole family stuck in this circumstance. 
And so when we think about this, um, the, the, the key component is ensuring that everybody understands that the major behaviors you're dealing with, running, kicking, screaming, um, uh, you know, shutting down, uh, threatening, all of this, verbal aggression, physical aggression, uh, risky behaviors, and, and checking out behaviors, all of that is um, symptoms of the meltdown cycle. This is, this is behavior that is absolutely um, reducible, and, and we've helped parents break out of this pattern, especially in a, in a daily dynamic, in as little as eight weeks. And when we see parents be able to do that, um, it's important for you to notice that the, there's a two-way street here. Your child is missing skills, and you are the one who needs to teach your child those skills. Um, and so I'm going to speak about that because when we think about the fact that your child is missing skills, this is something that can be really um, missed in the meltdown cycle. It might feel um, obvious, um, but uh, when we think about the meltdown cycle, and, he and here's where I'm going to share a little bit more about my own personal experience, um, the, the component that your child is missing skills um, is important for you to, um, to notice because when we're stuck in the meltdown cycle, it can be easy to blame the personality of the child as dramatic, as um, a whiner, as a complainer, as just somebody who just won't handle change, um, somebody who can't handle change, somebody who is easily overwhelmed. Even Elaine Aaron um, naming that as part of the trait in the four components of the highly sensitive trait depth of processing, easily overstimulated, right, um, as, as number number two. The other, th the other two are, are emotionally responsive, reactive, and more empathetic. That's um, number three. And then sensitive to subtleties. And so when we look at number two, easily overstimulated, easily over, over, um, overwhelmed, the important component is that easy is relative. When you address the intensity of the meltdown cycle and you reduce the intensity of that meltdown cycle, uh, then your child can handle overwhelming moments without uh, meltdown, okay? Um, without uh, needing to leave early and things of that nature. So uh, I wanna cover that, all right? Because um, growing up, I remember my sister not being able to participate in um, in swim camps, um, in swim lessons, uh, I remember my sister not being able to participate in, um, in in family activities because she was stressed out. She was worried about things. I remember um, the the screaming that happened at home um, between the two, mainly uh, my, my mom and uh, my sister when they were upset. Um, and then I remember the screaming that happened between myself and my mom um, because I was angry. I was really angry as a teenager. And uh, my mom was doing the very best she could and better than she was parented. So it's it's not a judgment. My mom was, um, both my parents know what I do. They know that I speak about my childhood every once in a while. And um, they know that that had what I had, what, what I do is for a living, had that been available to them, um, they would have jumped into those options in a heartbeat. It just wasn't available to them. So there's no judgment or shame or blame um, from a, a regret standpoint because they didn't have this level of support um, available to them uh, growing up and raising my sister. And um, now that it is available to you, it's critically important that you break out of this pattern immediately because um, there is no 
I turned out okay, that happened in my family, I turned out okay um, dynamic that is available to your, your sensitive kid. So if you um, grew up in a household where your parent is a yeller or your parent used um, other strategies like timeouts or um, groundings or lectures or writing lines, uh, et cetera, traditional parenting methods that don't need to have included spanking often or ever, um, I want to ask yourself when you say you turned out okay, do you self-identify as a perfectionist? Um, do you see yourself as a people pleaser? Do you see yourself as somebody who can panic easily or has trouble sleeping? Um, and then I want to ask, do you see yourself as a workaholic? Um, somebody who, who, who really struggles with disappointing others, um, who can't handle stress uh, without raising your voice. Um, and then I ask you, you know, is that the okay you want for your child, for your non-highly sensitive child that you're raising? Um, because <clears throat> knowing, knowing that, knowing that that's how um, I turned out, in my early adulthood, um, that's absolutely not something that I want for my child, nor do the clients that we work with want for their children. Um, that is not the best case scenario in, in living life um, for many parents. Uh, people pleasing workaholism, type A, you know, self-sacrifice, martyrdom um, is, is an ineffective way to live, right? Just being able, just, you know, not being able to advocate for your own needs, um, not be able to live a balanced life. Um, thinking that your life can't be balanced if you want to be financially successful or professionally successful um, is not a, an experience that's going to serve you. Your stress is going to play out in your family dynamic. And so you might understand that, but it might be hard for you to notice how that starts, how that pattern starts in childhood. And uh, it started for me in childhood because I learned um, in, in through traditional parenting uh, and how I was parented that um, big emotions are not okay. And that if you have a big emotion, it's your problem to fix. And um, it's also your problem to keep your parents happy. Um, and the, the, I'm saying this in a blunt way because I'm not going to, you know, give you 20 years of childhood. Because <laughs> um, I made mistakes in college that I was parented and lectured about. Um, so I'm not saying that that's just like once I hit 18, my parents were like, have fun, have at it. Like, we're, you know, we're no longer your parent. Um and, and all of that dynamic is, um, is relevant here. For me, early on in, in my young adulthood, um, it was incredibly stressful to manage my um, relationships because all I was able to do was perform um, and uh, perform in a way that got me the results that I wanted. A's, you know, 4.0 GPA, et cetera. And uh, that meant that... Um, I didn't really have a lot of emotional availability um, for loving relationships or for uh, friendships. My friendships were pretty superficial and um, I didn't need, I didn't need um, intimacy. And I'm not talking just about um, uh, like sexual relationship int intimacy. I'm talking about uh, vulnerability, sharing my worries with a cared, with a person who cares, um, supporting people uh, around me who are sad. Um, being able to do that in a way that isn't just me listening and letting them dump on it, right? Because that's like um, a, a very newbie therapist thing to do, just having somebody vent in your office for an hour and saying like, yeah, this is important to you. <laughs> um, that's why talk therapy is, is so um, draining and, and frustrating um, because many therapists don't move beyond that skill set to, um, or they move straight to like, let's fix it. Come on, here's some skills. I learned skills. 
um, in this new training and, and here, like, let me teach you that. So um, the, the, the whole component around being, trying to fix people um, was something that I, I, I learned in childhood. I learned uh, that it was my job to be a fixer. And um, that only got me so far because um, I wasn't focused on being able to feel fully emotionally secure in myself. And that took a lot of work. <laughs> it took a lot of personal development work. It took a lot of um, emotional development work and spiritual development work. And, um, and, and being able to lead parents out of that, um, out of that dynamic early uh, is now uh, my life's work and, and our mission here at MTC. Because when you think about it, um, and, and if you haven't heard uh, my story, and uh, I go into this more in depth, but my sister uh, engaged in some pretty significant life-threatening behaviors. You know, I came home from college and saw her. She was skin and bones. She had anorexia. Um, and so, she, yeah, she developed that in, in young adulthood. Uh, she was in college or right out of college. I do the math right because I was coming home from grad school. So she was right out of college. Um and, and so you might say, oh, she turned out right because she graduated college, um, but she graduated college near dead, um, uh, you know, skin and bones with, with nobody really noticing the slow decline. Because when you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, you don't see from outside your experience. And so she's, you know, coming home every weekend um, to, to mitigate stress and to decompress from life, literally. Um, and my parents didn't see it. They didn't see how skinny she had gotten. Um, they didn't see because all they heard was how stressed she was, how sad her life was, how overwhelming her life was. And they would just try to solve the problem of the weekend. Um, now that, that behavior, that, that cycle they were, they were in, it started in childhood. They started, um, getting stuck in that cycle in childhood, um, hand, helping her manage school, helping her manage drama with friends, um, helping her manage, uh, dynamics around, you know, things that she didn't think she was capable of and just constantly trying to encourage her to, to, um, to solve problems in a non-highly sensitive way. And she was sensitive. So, uh, we all misinterpreted my sister's needs as um, her being dramatic, um, that she was, you know, an alien, um, that she wasn't part of the family. There's a lot of subtle rejection going on in the household. Um, with that being said, because I didn't know how to manage my own emotions, I also learned to reject myself. I also learned to um, resent emotions um, and to resent the, the dynamic. And so when I got frustrated with my sister for doing silly sisterly things, um, I got really, really pissed, like really, really angry. Uh, I would yell, um, and, and just blow up because that was obviously a side effect of, of the issues that we had at hand is that nobody knew how to manage emotions. Um, and, and that, that was more relevant in high school. So I had hormones, um, to add to that, but that was not the key. You know, teenagers can manage anger without losing their minds. Um, that was not, uh, that was not the cause of, of my anger concerns, um, the cause was that I didn't learn the skills and um, that they just weren't made available to me. And so instead, what was made available to me was a lesson that I needed to stuff my emotions and handle it if I had any um, and that all anger is bad. And so here's where we're at now, right? I'm in uh, my mid-30s and um, well, I guess you would say mid to late 30s. Um, and obviously, I've made a lot of uh, ch changes in my life in order to have a loving family of my own. Um, and, and, and relationship, uh, married relationship of my own. Um, but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work and um, a lot of sadness and worry and concern to, to get there. Um, and my sister never made it out. 
she did not, she's not financially successful, um, to the, to the day of this recording. Um, she's not independent. Um, and, uh, she's not emotionally independent and she's not emotionally successful either. And, um, that's devastating, man. It, it is really hard, um, to watch happen and, uh, to have to create boundaries around a loved one, um, who, who I, who I just don't really think that I can, I can have a, a clear relationship with her. Um, and, and a lot of that frustration, um, I, you know, I, I dissipate on my own with my own skills, but I have to set really clear boundaries around how often I speak with her, um, how often we, we converse and, and what I get into, what kind of communication I get into, because it's just, um, it's been the same thing over and over again for, um, for 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that gets tiring. Um, and, and unfortunately I have to say that this is not a unique to my family's circumstances, you know, we've got 10, 10 people on the team at here at MTC, um, in various capacities. And many of them have highly sensitive siblings and, um, some of their siblings might be financially successful in the sense that they're independent. Um, they can pay, you know, they might own a house or, or, um, are married and, and, um, are homemakers and, and, um, <clears throat> contribute and, and their spouse, uh, pays the bills. But, um, the emotional unavailability is still true there. So, um, sure. Um, you know, my sister's no longer, uh, demonstrating anorexia. She was able to break out of that pattern. Um, thankfully, thank God, but, um, you know, so her life's not necessarily in danger all of the time. Um, but it's still not a, 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 an awesome life to be living, honestly. And I'm, I'm not here to be um, judgmental of that experience. It's just very obvious. She, she lives in a lot of stress and, um, uh, my parents worry about her all the time and, um, have had to set pretty significant boundaries around their relationship with her at this age, um, for her at this age as well. Um, just given how many years they've tried to support her in, in different ways that have either been enabling or, um, uh, you know, just, just in a, like highly ineffective, um, toxic for everybody. And, um, I, I say that in the sense that it's just the, the pendulum that I speak to you guys about, uh, which is the, the pressuring, um, you got to get it together, get it together now, panic mode to, um, okay, you can't get it together. You'll never get it together. So here, let me hold your hand and, and help you. Um, <clears throat> and that dynamic is, is the toxicity I'm talking about. My parents aren't abusive. They, they were, they never engaged in, um, you know, purposeful neglect or, or anything like that. Um, the emotional neglect by simply lack of knowledge of, of what helps parents of sensitive kids, um, seriously damage the relationship that my parents have with my sister. And, um, that's not, that's an irrefutable fact. It's, it's not something that anybody in, in my family would, um, speak to otherwise or would defend, <laughs> uh, the opposite. And, and that's really sad. Um, it is. And, and, and it's, um, something that I, I think about and being able to, uh, hope for change and noticing my role in that, you know, as a, as a therapist, it's incredibly important that I not become my sister's therapist though. In my early adulthood, um, uh, I definitely tried in my early adolescence in my early adulthood before I even became a trained therapist. Um, I definitely tried and, uh, it, it's, it's exhausting. And, and so when I think about the, um, the sadness, the grief, uh, that my family has been through, um, about this, and, and that doesn't even speak to, um, just the daily sadness that my sister goes through, um, living, living such a hard life. Um, it, 
it's a heavy weight that you have to figure out how to how to personally choose to dissipate um, because you can't take action in a way that you want to have action. So say for example, you know, obviously um, denying that my sister's sensitive and 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 um, saying that she should have it all together would be just like if she had cancer and was dying and I'd be like, no, you don't, right? Um, come on, you know, come on, get it together, right? Um, obviously I can't do that, I'm not doing that. Um, and, and we don't teach that in, in, for our clients either. You have to acknowledge the sensitivity and then you have to figure out where you fit in the role. Um, and for parents of young children, um, you fit in the role as teeter, teacher um, as well as leader. And that means that your sensitive kid is, is, um, is here to learn from you. Um, and they need to take action, but you need to create that environment for them to take action uh, that, that allows them to thrive. And you can't do that by just throwing them to the wolves, um, telling them to suck it up, or telling them that, um, you know, that, that, that their siblings are waiting for them um, and that it's all their fault if they don't uh, get it together and their siblings are suffering because of that, because it's not a child's job to parent their siblings. Um, and that goes both ways, right? So for me to be, to, to be in that uh, position, um, not intentionally put there, right? Like I said before, um, can't speak higher enough to my um, excellent relationship with my parents. Um, love them. They, they care for me in, in, in emotional ways. And they um, have given me so many, so many things uh, throughout the years. And I, I give back as well um, in our relationship. And we have a really great relationship. And... Um, that is likely to, to um, due to a clear understanding of what was my emotional baggage to, to carry um, because I could have easily uh, moved into shame and blame myself um, in that relationship. And um, being able to understand that, that we have um, uh, such a beautiful privilege as um, those of us growing up in this generation do um, in, in this day and age of, of education and, and attachment theory, education and emotional management um, science and education in, um, you know, in, in personal development, uh, mindset support, etc., cetera, uh, neuroscience, all of that, none of that was available to, to my parents. Um, all of that was, was tucked away in professional journals and fancy um, college um, libraries. And while my parents have uh, college degrees and, and advanced degrees, um, they were studying something else, right? So it's, it's not, <laughs> uh, my mom's a nurse, my dad's an accountant. So there's no, um, there's, there's really not a lot of overlap in, in that understanding of child development um, that they would have been writing papers on this stuff uh, in, in school enough to, to, to apply it or, or have the knowledge to apply it. So then when it came time for my mom to read um, Dr. Green's book, The Explosive Child, um, decades ago, um, when it first came out, um, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It's not enough for our clients now. And plenty of people will talk about his work. Um, it doesn't break out of the meltdown cycle. It might give you a framework uh, that is pretty complicated, quite frankly. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't break out of the meltdown cycle because you need support. You need troubleshooting. You need. You need to be able to talk to somebody when you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might work for you, but you're the psychiatrist here, so uh, I. I don't have the information that you have in your brain to to pivot to creatively problem solve. And so this is why we work with our clients when we do, um, we, we answer their questions all the time. It's not just a, it's not just an appointment delivery system because, um, the work that we do, you need to be able to, to talk to a professional regularly and, um, and to do that in a way that doesn't keep you panicking, um, and keep you in a, in a crisis intervention cycle too. So the same thing, 
um, going on in, in terms of trying to contact somebody who doesn't, a professional who doesn't know how to make break out of the cycle. They, they can be in the same response if they're treating themselves as your 911 um, response team. Uh, because because uh, in the meltdown cycle, there are a few things that are emergencies. And there are a lot of things that are not emergencies that feel like emergencies. And uh, when you're an expert and, and you can solve the problem consistently, you've done this for many, many families, you can, you, you, I'm able to know, you know, my team and I are, we're able to know what's an emergency, what's not. Um, and we're able to help people slow down. Because if you're in panic mode, um, parenting consistently, um, it, it just keeps you uh, draining your emotional experiences and, and you don't have the energy to withstand holding a limit effectively later on in the day. This is why you're swinging from, okay, fine, you can have it, I'm tired, to no, enough is enough, I can't deal with this anymore, I'm all done, um, giving you more chances. And and neither of those approaches work. So, um, and that, that, you know, like I said, I have, uh, it's a parallel to, to what I saw what, you know, anecdotally I can assess going on in my parents' dynamic. Um, and, and all the families that we've helped break out of this cycle as well. So when we think about being able to do this consistently, right, what actually works? You need to be able to have a clear understanding of what is your kid's personality and then what is their symptom of a meltdown cycle that just shows up regularly and, um, and you're calling it their personality, right? So uh, personally, we would consider my sister to be dramatic. We would consider her to be different than us. Um, and we were using her ineffective behaviors to dictate that. To, to, and we called it her personality. Um, and we see this often for parents stuck in the meltdown cycle. Children who whine, who cry, who are quick to, to name the negative, who are quick to count all the terrible things that happened that day. Um, even when you go to like a carnival, you know, and, and children who will say it's the worst day ever at the end. Um, of, a, of a, a lovely experience like that, even though they had beaming smiles um, throughout the whole day because they didn't get an extra um, slushy at the end when you got them ice cream an hour ago, right? Um, when you walk past the slushy booth and um, your, your children stuck in the meltdown cycle will categorize an entire day as terrible. And uh, that might show up differently for sensitive kids versus non-sensitive kids. So sensitive kids, it might show up as um, the negativity ledger. This is something that I, I um, affectionately call uh, where a kid is just ticking those boxes. They are just counting, keeping track of all of the bad things that happened then that day. And they're not anchoring, believing and, and sitting in um, the awesomeness uh, of the day and the, the joy. And that feels fleeting and it feels like a fluke, like you can't depend on it. This is true for you as a parent. If you feel like your kid's emotional experiences that are positive are flukes, and you can't depend on it as well, uh, that's also a symptom of the meltdown cycle. So you need to be able to break out of that pattern of deciding the way your kid relates to the world is their personality. It's not true. Symptom. Um, the next thing is, and, and you know, to, to, to go back to that, you know, you can, you can, this shows up in less panicked ways in non-highly sensitive kids as pragmatism, realism. Tell it like I see it. Um, so this was me in my early 20s. Uh, well, in my adolescence as well. Um, in, in how I spoke with adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Pollyanna is great, but, um, life is kind of tough, right? Relating to those, um, memes in adolescence, you might've, um, caught a few life sucks and then you die. Like quote that I'm pretty sure that was a quote on my AOL profile for a couple of years in college. Um, like my AIM profile, <laughs> um, 
If not, it was something that I would say every once in a while. Um, the pragmatism of that is, is basically somebody who is okay um, living in mediocrity and living in a life that, that, that just basically gets you um, most of what you want, but not everything. And when you don't shoot um, for your dreams to be achieved, then you don't achieve them, right? Um, so, so that's really important um, to understand how this plays out in, um, in emotional experiencing, even if you're not uh, having meltdowns yourself, or even if your, your other children are not having meltdowns themselves. Pragmatism is the thief of joy. Um, in addition to comparison to, um, to edit Theodore Roosevelt's, um, words here. So, um, the, the other piece around the importance that you need to be able to, to do, you know, so, so break out of the pattern of calling, um, calling your kids dramatic of thinking that's part of their personality. You got to break out of the pattern of, um, uh, trying to teach without play. You need to playfully teach your child learns through play. Um, that is the language of children. You need to be able to learn how to speak the foreign language of sensitive children. Um, if you don't speak it fluently yourself, even if you're highly sensitive, the way your child experiences the world isn't likely how you, um, how you want them to experience the world. Um, and it, it might not be related to how you experience the world. So you need to fix that, um, and, and, and address that as well and, uh, work on, on ways to teach without shaming, as I mentioned earlier today. Um, and that needs to be systematic. So your kid doesn't feel like they have to fix all the things like they're relating to the world, that the whole world needs to be fixed, right? Um, you can't approach changing your child's behavior from your own negativity ledger. If they also use negativity ledgers to name their days. Um, so that has to be systematic as well. And, and the best way to do that is to work with professionals who've helped you, uh, who've helped hundreds of families do that. That's us here at MTC. Um, no other professional has our level of expertise and is able to do this in this uh, swift amount of time around the world. And, and I know that for sure, because we have clients around the world, um, who, who are able to, uh, speak about the fact that they've tried all kinds of things, um, working with coaches, uh, working with therapists, um, working with pediatricians, reading books, etc. And that doesn't break you out of the pattern. Working with experts breaks you out of the pattern. So, uh, I encourage you to go ahead and have a conversation with us, figure out uh, what you need to do um, to get from A to B, right? Your, if your goal is um, to stop suffering in, in however way, many ways your family is suffering, and then to live a life where you know, you're not just satisfied by going to the park without a fight, um, but living a life where you know that you guys can spontaneously go on vacations, uh, that you can even handle a move. One of our clients just celebrated um, that they were they were so excited. You know, they've been thinking about moving, and they had moved uh, before. Um, and it was such a, a, a horrendously stressful experience for their family. Um, they had conceded to the, the thought um, that they can't move ever again until their kids grow. And, and um, that level of trapped experience, even if you don't know where you're going to move to or if you ever want to move again, um, just th that level of be feeling trapped in your own home is incredibly stressful, right? Um there, there's a, there's a, there's a stuck experience you have to not being able to grow. And this family, um, in our work together, um, in the middle of our, our eight weeks together was able to identify their child is fully capable of handling challenge of, of handling feeling thrown for the, for a loop, a disruption in their routine, um, you know, to the max, what a move does. Right. And, um, and, and parents started to dream again. They started to dream 
about where they would move to and what, what community they would live in and, and how they would thrive, the whole family would thrive there. And they stopped thinking that, that this is just all there is. That's what I'm talking about when, when we speak about goals, right? Your goal might be um, just make it, like I said, just making it to the park. Um, but that's not where we stop, man. That's a, that's a, that's a day-to-day expectation that every family should deserve, right? Um, what I'm talking about is being able to do this consistently so much so that that's no longer a, a feeling like an anomaly, um, or, or something that you're going to revel in unless you're truly, um, connected to, to, you know, to feeling daily gratitude, if you will. Um, but instead, you know, you're going to be able to appreciate that on the same level that you appreciate um, any other physical attributes you have that that, that you often take for granted, right? Um, <clears throat> and and that's what I'm talking about here: being able to have regular everyday experiences that a that a family with non-highly sensitive kids who are not stuck in any meltdown cycles are dealing with, picking up, going to the park, and it being you know a fun thing to do. Um, <clears throat> that's every day, and then we dream bigger than that. And once you observe uh, what's bigger for you, uh, and if we can help you get there, we've helped families do that. Or if that's uh, what, if your dreams match up to what we, um, what we do, what our expectation is and, and what we think your, your family is capable of, uh, then we share with you exactly how, uh, what our work would, would, um, how our work would apply uh, within your family dynamic to get you from, from A to B. Um, and then if your family needs to go from A to B, but in the middle, there needs to be a stop in between that we don't help with, uh, then we would just point you in that direction. Okay. Um, if, if your family has experienced, um, uh, traumatic hardship, um, there's other dynamics in the family that, that, you know, can run the gamut in all kinds of ways. Uh, then we point you in the direction of what evidence-based either mental health treatment or, um, coaching approach you need to take, um, depending on, on the circumstances, um, before we were a fit or uh, because we're not a fit at all. And uh, that conversation has to happen on the phone because uh, we're not here to make false promises uh, that what we do is going to work for everybody. Um, But we're also not here to create false hope that what we do is going to work for everybody. Um, Nor, um, you know, just just try to work with everybody um, when it's not a fit. That's out of integrity of what we do here at MTC. So we are happy to serve you. We are happy to make that a mutual conversation uh, and invitation and application process. And um, we do that on the phone uh, and and you w- would have that conversation. We're happy to discuss it and, and move you in the right direction so that you can break out of this pattern immediately because no family was put on this earth to be miserable. We look forward to speaking with you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.